Father, you, you alone are worthy of glory and of praise. You are the great and the mighty one. We worship you this morning. We extol you. We magnify you. We lift you up. Father, would you bless this time that we have? Would you soften our hearts and allow the words that are spoken and the songs that we sing to penetrate deep inside to remind us of these truths, of who you are, of who we are in you. It's at this time, we'd like everybody to, um, despite all of the chaos and the stress and the everything that's on our shoulders, would you just welcome one another here in the peace of Christ? Just turn to one another and say, peace of Christ to you. Welcome. Uh, so glad to be here with you today. Uh, if you are visiting us for the first time or coming back for a second or third visit, we're so glad you're here with us. Um, I'm going to highlight a few things that are happening in our church life uh, in, in coming weeks. Uh, first, just want to remind us of uh, our Tuesday Zoom prayer meetings. We believe that this is an uh, important time. Um, prayer connects us to God in a mysterious way, and so we gather together it's over Zoom that we gather together to uh, pray and intercede in behalf of our church community. Uh, this coming t Tuesday, we're going to uh, spend some time praying for the war that's ha happening. Um, and so if you'd like to join us, we'll, we'll lament, we'll intercede for those who are suffering during this time. Um, on uh, November uh, 15th, 
uh, we, this coming Wednesday, we will have a, a child dedication class. And this is a class for any new parents who would like to dedicate their child to the Lord. It's usually a special time because it allows the families to um, surrender and dedicate and commit their most precious possession uh, to the Lord. And it allows our church community to come around and celebrate and bless um, our families, new families. And so we have a class that's happening this Wednesday, and then we'll dedicate um, children this coming Sunday, November, November 19th. And so if you want to participate in that, please sign up before um, Tuesday. Uh, class is on Wednesday. All right, Turkey Bowl. Um, our friends, or guy named Justin Peng, if you don't know, he's trying to hype up this uh, uh, Turkey Bowl, and he's inviting everyone to join. And so he and his family made a video so we'll show that at this time. to say. Um, I think he really wants people to participate. It's open to anyone, uh, any level. There's no requirements. And even if you uh, have little kids, you could come out and last year they had a smaller field where they could kind of play. And so, yeah, all are welcome. Hopefully, uh, we'll have a good time. Um, he did ask if you could sign up early or soon this week, like today, because they want to form teams that are just kind of equally matched. So if you're interested, please do sign up and make Justin uh, happy. All right. Um, uh, you know, as you, we've announced this last Sunday, but we, we got to connect with an uh, apartment complex right nearby. It's 10 minutes walk from here. Uh, the apartment complex is called Tyson's View Apartments. Uh, we, some of us actually did our prayer walks uh, there. And um, we, uh, during Thanksgiving, we have the opportunity to bless that community. And so we're going to try to create Thanksgiving baskets. Um, each basket's uh, 
basket costs about $40. And so if you like to bless, sort of sponsor a family in that apartment complex, you could donate, give uh, through our website. We would love to bless as many families as we can. Uh, I know we've already collected uh, a significant amount, so thank you for giving. If you'd like to participate in that, you could do that on our website. Um, some other ways that you can help is next Sunday, if you want to come early, we will put those baskets together. Daniel Dees is in charge, so if you want to help, you can just show up at 9 o'clock, and we'll do that together. If you have time next Tuesday, uh, which is, I think, the 21st, um, we will hand out those baskets at 4 p.m., and so you can just show up. Uh, we'll just hopefully connect with some people there and kind of welcome them, greet them, and just talk about, share about who we are. And so, again, if you're interested in that, you could connect with Daniel Dees or just show up at those times and you can, you can serve and participate. Um, missions giving. A few, two Sundays ago, we had our missions conference. It was, it was a beautiful time, and many of you um, responded well. And some of you said, hey, I want to give towards these missions opportunities. And one of the things that you can give towards is the hospital in Stung Treng. Uh, if you remember, it's a hospital that really doesn't have a bathroom or functioning bathroom, and so we want to give towards this hospital so that they can build a bathroom that's, that's good, that, that will be helpful. And so I think the ba- bathroom costs about $40,000, and again, if you want to give, you could go to our website, there's a, a Dropbox, it'll tell you um, I want to give towards Cambodia um, Provincial Hospital, and you could give towards that, and, and hopefully that will bless our uh, team out in Cambodia. Uh, last, uh, the last announcement, um, women, sisters at our church, we have a women's retreat date. Uh, that's May 3rd through 5th. I know it's far away, but I know many of you have busy lives and, and multiple things going on. So if you would just mark these dates down so that at least you could pray about attending. Again, March 3rd through 5th. And it's at Sandy Cove. I've been there. It's a beautiful retreat center. It, you really will feel like you're, sort of you're away from all the, all the business of this this area, and you can hope, focus and worship and, and fellowship with other, uh, other women at the retreat. So hopefully you could join us then. All right, let's pray together for our offering, and, and then we'll look at God's Word. Now let's pray. Dear God, thank you for just the ways that you've blessed our church community. Thank you for even uh, two Sundays ago. Uh, when we heard about just what you're doing around the world and around us and uh, the opportunities that we had to uh, participate in your work. And uh, we thank you that we got, we got to do that. Uh, again, as we continue to give, whether that's towards the Tyson's apartment outreach or the Cambodia hospital or just towards our church life here, uh, Lord, we acknowledge that all the things that we have come from you. And so we give joyfully, cheerfully, um, trusting that you, that, that you will use our resources that's surrendered before you to bring more people to yourself, to further your kingdom, to magnify who you are so that more people might, might be drawn to you. We pray for our time together of looking at your word. We pray that your word, um, your spoken word, your written word would come alive and, and speak to us. We pray that our hearts and our minds would be open today to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're looking at the beginning portion of the Bible. And we said that uh, we are looking at these few chapters in the beginning because they help us to get a a worldview that's distinct from what we have here on earth. 
uh, one of the first things that I do when I wake up, and some of you can relate, is put on my glasses. Because without my glasses, everything is blurry, you know? And so it's only when I put on my glasses, I go, okay, I can, you know, go to the bathroom, go to the kitchen, make my coffee. Um, and it's, I mean, it's, it's helpful and it's needed for me because, again, without glasses, it's fuzzy, blurry. And I think that's what happens when we live our life apart from Scripture. Things are hazy. It's only when we put on the lens that God gives to us, which is His Word, that we can see things clearly and thus make decisions that are according to His will. And so that's what we are pursuing during this season uh, from September until now. And we'll have one more sermon on this um, topic of biblical worldview next Sunday as we close our time. Well, just want to catch us up for those of you who might be kind of wondering where we are. So we, we looked at Genesis 1, 2, 3, and if you remember Genesis 3, sin comes, curse falls, and everything falls apart. Um, and what we, what we noticed is life apart from God just doesn't work. And so uh, Genesis 4, we talked about last Sunday about technology and how we can view technology and cultural development through a biblical lens. And then you have Genesis 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. It's about Noah, um, broadly speaking. In Genesis 6, God sees what's happening in, in the world, and, and he's, his heart is grieved because he sees so much wickedness and violence. And in essence, he decides to start over with Noah. He uh, sends a great flood to bring judgment and also cleansing on earth. And it's after Genesis 6, 7, 8, after uh, Genesis 7, 8 talks about how it rained 40 days and 40 nights. And after about a year, Noah is waiting for the water to subside. And after about a year, Noah and his family come out of the ark and God meets them and he um, speaks to them and gives them a, a covenant. So I'm going to just briefly pick up at Genesis 9, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 7. So we'll read a portion of Genesis 9, and then we'll talk about briefly Genesis 10. We'll land on Genesis 11 today. So Genesis 9, verse 7. So this is God speaking to Noah as he comes out of the ark, after he came out of the ark. He said, And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on, earth, on the earth, and multi multiply in it. I just want to point out that this is the same command that God gave to Adam and Eve, right? Multiply, fill the earth. And what God is after is God is after His people, His image bearers to fill the earth so that people, so that His glory might be known. That's what He's after. And so Adam and Eve, same commandment. He tells the same, He repeats the same mandate to Noah and his family. And then verse 8, Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds and the livestock and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set a bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me 
and the earth. And so in essence, God starts over with Noah. And he says, this is my promise, my covenant with you. And then we have, uh, if you jump down to chapter 10, verse 1, um, it says, these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. And so we're not going to read the whole chapter 10, but chapter 10 is basically uh, descendants of Noah and his sons. It's typically called the table of nations because there are 70 names that's listed. And it's not a complete list, but the main point is all the nations, all these nations came from one family, Noah. That's what Genesis chapter 10 is talking about. And then you jump down to chapter 11. Now, if you just read chapter 10, you would think that God's plan worked, right? People started over, and they dispersed, and and they got along, and things are going well. But Genesis chapter 10 is, is to be read with Genesis chapter 11. And when we read Genesis chapter 11, we get a different picture of what took place. So follow with me. Genesis chapter 11. We'll read from verse 1 to verse 9. Now the whole earth had one language, the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left of building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. All right, we'll stop there. Um, so one of the significant themes that we're supposed to get, and it happened in Genesis 3, Genesis 6, Genesis 11, is that life doesn't work apart from God. But God gives mandate to Adam and Eve, and they don't trust God. They take matters into their own hands, and things fall apart. And it happens again in Genesis chapter 6. God looks at the world and, and see how wicked and evil people were. And so God starts again and sends the flood and it starts again. And here, Genesis chapter 11, again, they are trying to make life apart from God. And what, what happens is God disperses them. He scatters them. So one of the things that we're, we're supposed to get in the very beginning of uh, the Bible, one of the main themes is life done apart from God or outside of God and who He is, doesn't work. It, it falls apart. And that's, that's what we're seeing. And so even here in this passage, what we're seeing is people's rebellion, right? First, they, the, the mandate was clear, right? God told Noah and his descendants, go, disperse, right? Be scattered, fill the earth, multiply. And again, the goal being 
so that the earth will be filled with God's people, image bearers that glorify God. But that's not what they do here. They gather together to build a tower. And then we're told that they want to make a name for themselves. Now, in biblical language, naming something is having authority, right? So in Genesis chapter 2, God gives authority to Adam so that Adam could name the animals, the creatures, right? And so here, what they're saying is, we want to be our own gods. And we want to do life apart from God. And we want to we rule. We want to be in control. And that's what they're doing as they're building the city and building this tower. Now, here's what we're supposed to, we need to kind of realize. And that is, this Tower of Babel account is not an isolated event. The word Babel, it's, it gets translated differently, but it's the, the city of Babylon that happens in the Old Testament, and it appears again in the book of Revelation. It's the, it's the attitude that says, I can live life apart from God. It's the, it's the spirit of Babel that says, I am important enough that I can succeed apart from God. And that spirit, that attitude is not only in Scripture, but it's in our culture, right? If we think about how we or the people that we know, our society, how do we actually manage and live life? Well, oftentimes, I think it's we presume or we, we maybe unintentionally, we don't, we don't maybe think about it, but, but we live as if we are in charge, don't we? Um, I think, think about it like this. You know, we regard sometimes when we read Scripture, when we read the Bible, and we come across commandment that might be hard. I mean, we don't really think about it and ponder upon it. And we, we feel like it's a restriction to our freedom. It, it, it feels like a burden sometimes when we read God's Word. Well, that's what these people in Genesis 11 were feeling. Well, we don't want to deal with God's Word. We, don't, we know what God said. We're supposed to disperse, but out of pride... And fear, they said, no, we got to come together to make a city and make a name for ourselves. And we're told to follow our dreams, right? Like, what, is, what do you want to accomplish? Oftentimes, they're not shaped by Scripture. They're not, they're not formed by God's Word. Actually, they're formed more by what we heard when we were growing up from our parents, possibly. Maybe it's a message that we got from our culture, but it's not. Our dreams are not formed by Scripture. I can still remember. This is kind of embarrassing, okay? But I can still remember when I was really young, uh, my mom, you know, would ask me, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I was like five maybe, and I was like, I, was like, I don't know. I'm, not, you know, I'm just thinking. And she said, and this stuck with me. And she said, you could be the president. Back then I was in Korea, okay? President of South Korea. And I thought, that sounds great. I want to be the president. So in my mind, I thought that for a long time. <laughs> I could be the president. Um, I mean, that's just one isolated story. But I, my, my point is, many of you, your dreams are formed by what your parents told you or your culture told you. And it's a dream of success and achievement, accomplishments. Well, is that God's dream? Is that shaped by God's word? Probably not. Um, think about how we define success even. We, I think, define success by thinking about bigger things, higher things, right? Getting more things. It's, it's always moving forward. I mean, that's how we define success. And it's not even that being successful in our own eyes is enough. 
Like we need to make sure that other people recognize that we're successful. I mean, that's the generate this generation, right? Social media has such an influence because it's not just that we're successful and we're content. No, we need to let others know how successful we are so that they can look at our life and our achievements and say, wow, way to go. You've really done it. I mean, that's our culture. And we're, we are entrenched in this culture of Babel. Make your name great. Build something significant for yourself and for your family. Now, as God's people, how do we live in this, in this world with this message flying at us from all directions? And that's what I want to talk about. And there are three things that I want to briefly mention. Number one, okay, this is a good one. So if you want to write something down, this, this, is, I mean, this really spoke to me. Okay, number one, here it is. All right. Remember that our greatest achievements are less than puny in God's eyes. Can I repeat that? Remember that our greatest achievements are less than puny in God's eyes. This is what this passage is telling us. Look at verse 5. So verse 5, structurally, it's right at the middle of the section. Verse 5 says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. So there's an irony here. This passage is, I think it's supposed to be humorous, actually. It's, so there are these people. They're working hard. They want to make a name for themselves. Or they're building a city. They want to build a tower that reaches to the heavens. That's their goal. They're ambitious, right? They want to, they want to achieve this. And then God looks down, and he, it's as if God sees what they're doing, this tower that's, that's magnificent, but God can't see it. Even though people are working hard and they're building this, this tower, God looks down and, and, and says, I can't see this. So he has to kind of come down to see this tower. Do you see how, I mean, it's supposed to be funny, it's like God looks at all the effort that people are putting into building this tower, and he says, what are you guys doing? I, I can't tell. It's kind of like this. It's, um, when I was in Philly, I remember once, one winter, uh, we had this great snowstorm that came. Uh, and, uh, you know, my kids were really young and, you know, I went outside and to clear the car and, you know, all these things. And my, my kids came and said, Dad, can we help? And I said, all right. So I gave them instructions. I said, hey, you know, here's a spot. I mean, they were like five, six. Here's a spot. You guys just shovel this part. You know, you could use your hand. There's a little shovel that you could use. Just do this right here, right? And so for maybe for about five minutes, they're working hard, you know, and I look at them, and they're, like, they're working. They're trying to shovel snow out. But soon, you know, they stop doing what I've asked them to do, what they were supposed to do, and they start building snow, snow, snowman. You know, like they're building things, and then they begin to compare. Man, look at my snowman. This is awesome. And, you know, like the, the older brother is saying, that's nothing. Look at this. And they're like fighting and arguing whose snowman is better. And I look at that, and am I impressed? Yes. You're, look at this beautiful snowman that you guys built. No, because that's just not what I wanted from them, right? They were, they were, they were not supposed to build a snowman. They were supposed to help me clear up, clear this car and, you know, shovel the snow and all these things. Okay. The point is, God looks at our struggle to achieve something great, and He says, I'm not impressed. 
This is not what I've asked you to do. I've asked you to scatter, disperse, so that my glory may be known to the ends of the earth. And here you are building a tower for yourself. God is not impressed at our greatest achievements, period. He's not. We might look at all the people, what they've accomplished, and we might say, wow, look at this. Look at that person. Look at what they've done. But God looks at those things and says, what is that? He has to come down to see what it is. And he says, this is nothing. It's less than puny before God. And so, friends, this is freeing for Christians. We don't have to live to accumulate or accomplish something great. God's, how God sees things is radically different than how we assess things. And, and that's a biblical worldview that we need to have. If we don't have that, we're going to spend the rest of our life trying to build a tower to impress ourselves and impress other people. And God looks at it and it says, this is, this is not what I've asked you to do. This doesn't please me. This is not impressive. No. It's really important. And Isaiah 40, um, the prophet Isaiah, this is what he says. He says, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all people are grass. And all this beauty, it's like flower in the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. All of our life, our accomplishments, no matter what they are, they're like grass and flowers. They might look beautiful for a season, but they will disappear. Only thing that will last is the Word of God. I mean, that doesn't, I guess I should say, you know, that doesn't mean that we should dismiss people who are working hard to achieve something. No, we don't want to do that. But the point is, we don't have to live to achieve something. We don't, have to, we don't have to give our souls away to achieve something great because that's not what God sees. So some of us might be asking then, well, how do we, like, how do we live this life? Like, what, sh- what should we do? What does it look like? And I think Prophet Isaiah tells us in verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And so, people, so how do we... How do we, another way to put it is, how do we impress God, right? How do we please God? Well, when we are able to live a life that's according to God's word, because his word lasts. So it's like Noah. Uh, God told him to build an ark. <laughs> there was no rain. But God's, Noah simply believed God's word, and he did it. It's like Abraham. Next Sunday, we'll talk about him. We'll finish this section. God says, go, leave your family, leave your former life. Trust me. Go, I have something for you. I mean, Abraham didn't know where to go, what to do, but he, that's what he did. He took steps of faith, trusting in God's word. So how do we live a life that pleases God? We live in faith. We trust that what God says in his word is trustworthy, and we shape our life according to it. God says, go, make disciples of all nations. Well, that's what God told his church to do, and that's what we want to be about. 
is shaping our life so that God's word leads, shapes us. So that's number one, right? Remember, people's greatest achievement are less than puny in God's sight. And that's what we're seeing in Tower of Babel. That's what it is. Number two, remember, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. This, this appears in the um, book of James, First uh, Peter. But I think the principle we find here, how this passage is structured, Genesis uh, chapter 11, verses 9 through 8, is chiastic, meaning like there, verse 5 is at the very center, and then verse 1 through 4, and then verses what, 6 through 9, they mirror one another. But they mirror one another in an opposite direction. So the, the passage is like this, verses 2, verses 2, 3, 4, is what people do. They say, let us build a city, let's build a tower, make a great name for ourselves. And then you have verse 5, God comes down, and then you have verses 6 through 9, it's all of God's activities, right? Let's come down, let's confuse them. And actually in verse 3, when he says, let us build, and then verse 7, you you have God saying, let us confuse. They actually have, in Hebrew, they have the exact same consonants. It's the same word, but it's flipped. I mean, he, the language, Hebrew language, you could kind of do things like that. You can't see it in English, but you see it. It's flipped. So the, the, what, they're, what the passage is saying is, as people are working hard to make a name for themselves, build a city, build a tower, God is here opposing them. God is working so that this won't happen. I don't know if there's anything more sad than people working hard to do something, achieve something, and God is on the other side kind of saying, this is not what I want. And he opposes them. He confuses them. That's the picture that we get in in Genesis 11. Now, this is what I'm going to point out. Although it's a judgment, right? When people are not obeying God, and they're doing their own things, and God is here opposing them. It's a, it's a judgment, but it's at the same time mercy. Because in Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 6, God comes and punishes them greatly. But here, God comes down, and He confuses them. And he, it says here, so that they won't continue to sin, right? They won't continue to go down this path where destructions will be great. No, God confuses them so that they will be scattered. And so on the one hand, what God does here is judgment, but on the other hand, what God does here is mercy and kindness. Um, I was uh, wa- watching, uh, I watched a, a documentary called Sly. Uh, it's, it's on Netflix. It's about uh, Sylvester Stallone, Rocky. Right? I lived in Philly for a long time, so I don't know. I just, I just like, like him more. Anyways, it's a, it's a documentary about his life, and you know, his life, he had a terrible beginning. He was beaten, uh, abused, uh, you know, broken home, so, but he clawed and scratched so that he became successful around 30. Right? That's when he made Rocky One, you know, and uh, his life is sort of up and down, but he achieved success. And so now he's 70, I think like 76, 77, around there, and so he's looking back at his life. And he's assessing all of his success, right? And this is what he says. He says, once you get your dream, to your dream, you realize this wasn't my dream. My dream didn't turn out the way I thought. I thought once I made it to the mountains, it would be all blue skies. It's not. It's lonely. You are still battling. 
going up to the mountain is not all it's cracked up to be. I think what I see here in Genesis 11 is God come, coming and confusing people. That's mercy because God says, if this is how they are, they will continue this path until destruction comes, until it's too late. So God confuses them. So friends, I think that's how God works. And I see this in, in my life. I see, it in, see this in our kids' lives, actually, although they're younger. I mean, I see it in them. When things are not working out well, when things are confusing, when there is some pain, actually, in some sense, it's God's mercy. It's a good thing. Because it's then that you have a choice. You wake up and you say, oh my goodness, wait a minute. Was I living for the wrong thing? Was I trying to build a tower to make my name great? And you have an opportunity to change and repent and ask God to help. And so if you are in that season, you're living life and you're in a season where things are confusing and maybe even... uh, Maybe your heart is filled with disappointment, and maybe there's even pain in your life. Um, I want to humbly ask you to cry out to God, because the principle that we see here and in New Testament is God gives grace to the humble. That God draws near to you when we cry out to Him. So if you're in that season, you, we could see it as, this is God's judgment for me. Oh, things are so hard. But we could also say, this is God's mercy. It is allowing me to turn to God and ask for His help. Right, number, number three, lastly and briefly, it's um, remember that we are called to live as citizens of God's city. From Genesis 3 onward, scripturally, we could say that there, there are two cities that's being built. City of man, or earthly city, and city of God. Uh, Augustine, who was a theologian in the 4th century, he said that these two cities are distinguished by, not by location. It's not like you go to now, you know, you go to Eden, Garden of Eden, and, and you find God's presence. It's not, it's not distinguished by locations. It's not distinguished by even city of God is spiritual things and earthly city, city is material things. And that's not, that's, not, that's not it. He says these two cities are distinguished by two great loves. In the city of God, the greatest love is love of God. In the city of man, the greatest love is love for self. That's how we know which city we belong to. Is Do we know God's love for us and do we love Him back? Or are we about ourselves? So Babel here is a representation of this earthly city where self is at the center. And, it, and, the, and the scary thing is city of God and the earthly city is intertwined throughout Scripture. It's the, until the very end, the final judgment, it's only then God destroys, punishes the Babylon, city of Babylon, city of, city of man, the earthly city. So we live in a city that's intertwined. And sometimes we can behave like we are part of God's city, Sometimes we can behave like we're part of the earthly city. So as we close, I just want to say we, two things, right, about being a citizen of God's city. One, if you're a follower of Jesus, you, your citizenship, the Apostle Paul says, is in heaven. Meaning your citizenship, you belong to God's city. Even though we might not always behave that way, that's who you are. And one of the implications of that, one of the ways that we know that we are 
part of God's city is we don't have to feel like we need to make a name for ourselves. We already have a name given by God. We are called His beloved. Like we don't have to try to attain something to be validated. No, we already have the love of God upon us. We are His beloved. We are His children. We are His bride. We are His church. We are His. And so we remember that as God's people. We are His. We are His beloved today. We don't have to try to do something to gain a name. No, we already have a name from a Heavenly Father. And part of the thing that we do every week is this, to remind ourselves that truth. We are His beloved. The second thing that the citizens of God does is we, um, because we're intertwined with earthly city and the city of God, we live in a way that displays God's city here on earth. We live in a way that displays the love of God. We live in a way that displays God's goodness and beauty and kindness and justice. We live in a way that when people see our life together as a church, whether it's a local church or the church, the people, the earthly city people say, wow, look at them. They're, they're living so differently. How can they be so selfless? How can they live for something beyond themselves? We're supposed to display this, and this is what Jesus told his disciples, right? You are a city on a hill, and its light cannot be hidden. That's who we are, and that's what we do in how we live. Uh, as I close, just one last story. Uh, last um, summer, a bunch of few of us went to Cambodia for our mission team, mission trip there, and we, uh, we saw a lot of different things. We were able to lead a retreat there, and we connected with uh, the missionaries in Cambodia. It was a really blessing time. One of the missionaries that we met was um, uh, a missionary, actually, from Cambodia. So, he, so the Alliance missionaries went, they raised up local believers. Now, there are churches in Cambodia, and so out of the churches in Cambodia, they're calling people to be missionaries to different places. So this one young couple, two little kids, they said, we'll go. And they said, send us to a hard place. And one of the hard places that they, that they assessed was this, so it's northeast of Cambodia where um, ethnic, ethnic Laotians live. So it's, it's an isolated place, and so we got to visit them. And we were struck. I was struck by two things. One, like their living condition, even for that, even for that region in Cambodia, I mean, it was, like, it was pretty uh, low. I mean, it was, so that impressed me. It just struck me. Wow, their, like, their living condition is, I don't know, just like very minimum. Um, and the second thing that struck me, though, was just the joy that they had. Like they, I don't know how to explain it, but when, you, when, we, like, when we met them, I don't know, like joy exuded from them, right? And so, um, just uh, last week, uh, David Manfred told us that, so this couple and there's another couple, another family, two families are, you know, doing this work at this remote place, and they just baptized um, like 12 people, and they were able to start a church. So I just have quick pictures if we, I mean, it's not because David sent these things to me, but they were able to start a church. They're they doing Bible studies with uh, people in that, in that location. Um, I guess I want to say this. I know Cambodia, you know, it's a totally different context. But 
the story that they live out is the same. They also belong to God's city. And the story that they're trying to live out and the story that we ought to be living out is God, God is good. God created the universe. But we sinned. And we experience curse of sin daily. We're broken. And yet God came to redeem and save us. God loves us. We are his people. We are his beloved. We have a name. And so we want to love God and we want to love other people. That's the narrative of uh, God's city. The narrative of earthly city is like a, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's build a tower. Let's build a city. Which narrative are you living out? And so whether you're in Cambodia at a very remote village or here in Washington, D.C., we, but we are people of God. We, we are citizens of God's city. And how that should define us is we love God and we love others in a radical way so that we can begin to display all that God is to people around us. That's our call, friends. That's having a biblical worldview that's living out of the gospel. All right, let's uh, pray and respond, and we'll close our time. Um, just want to give us a minute to kind of reflect and, you know, I mean, this message is um, as much as for, like, myself as it is for you, uh, just needing to have a framework, a lens that I see my life and this world through Scripture and rather than what I hear, what I sense uh, from around me. And so let's just come before the Lord and maybe you're in a season where you know, life is hard. Maybe it's God's mercy. Uh, maybe some of us might be, maybe things are working out well and you're working hard, but maybe we just need to pause and say, am I really living out God's call for my life and for my family? Um, so I just want to give us a minute to do that. Let's pray and then we'll sing a song together. And then we'll pray together corporately and we'll take communion as we respond.
we're going to now pray together. Um, projected words on the screen for the church and for our world. Please pray out loud the parts in italics, and I'll pray the parts in regular font, and then we'll close with some words that we'll say together in one heart and in one voice. Church, shall we pray? Almighty, merciful, and gracious God, who is like you? And though we know this, we in our weakness are prone to wander and forget who you are. And we neglect your voice and we reject your invitation to the abundant life we have in Christ. We confess and repent of turning to created things for our security and our salvation. We confess and repent of being more interested in making a name for ourselves rather than finding our identity and worth in you. Thank you for great mercy and intervening in the midst of our sin and chaos. Thank you for turning our hardened hearts into hearts of flesh that are responsive to you. Beloved, hear these words of God's forgiveness through Christ. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let us continue praying, not just for ourselves, but for the needs of the world. We ask God that you would intervene in all of the broken and hurting places in our world for the war in Ukraine and the war in Israel and Gaza and many more places. We lament the violence, terrorism, and retaliation that have led to innumerable loss of life in these wars. We cry out for justice and peace. For those grieving the loss of loved ones, those missing, injured, or in danger, We pray for the powerless in the region, for widows and orphans, for the many people displaced from their homes, and for those trapped, for the hungry, for the wounded, for the lost. We cry out for justice and restoration. We pray for leaders at home and in our congregation and abroad, that they would be guided not by fear, or revenge, but by courage and compassion, by forgiveness and generosity. Make us your church, 
your body a remedy to the loneliness and confusion that our Jewish and Palestinian neighbors are feeling right here in our own backyard. Empower your saints in these hard places to be your hands and feet. Sustain them and guide them to bring healing and the hope of Christ to all the world. And together we pray. Lord, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. ask us to stand. We'll read the Apostles' Creed together uh, to declare to one another and before God, this is what we believe and who we believe in, and then we'll have communion together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to the heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there will come the, li the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. Amen. Just like we read in Genesis chapter 11, God uh, continues to come down. Uh, he came down 2,000 years ago. Uh, he took on flesh to say, this is how much I love you and how much I care. And he does that daily uh, in our lives, doesn't he? Through his spirit, through God's word. And so as we come to the table, let's remember that God is God who intervenes. And he wants to sometimes shake us, sometimes uh, help us to wonder and pray. Uh, and, and it's our um, duty to respond. And so let's respond to him, however God might be stirring in, in your hearts. Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, please come and take communion. Uh, if you're here and just uh, wondering and, and questioning, we kindly ask you to uh, refrain from the table and use this time to reflect. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. The same way he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood uh, for the remission of your sins. Drink from it, all of you. Um, so we'll come, we'll sing some songs, we'll respond. And then if you want to receive prayer or just pray with someone, we'll have some leaders here who would love to pray with you. So let's respond to our God in that way.
Um, oh God, that, that is our desire that your name be that your name would be exalted because you are great. So as we leave this place, God send us as people of your kingdom, your city. Help us to know our name. And help us to live in a way that represents your beauty, your kindness, your justice, your mercy, so that other people might be drawn to you and worship you one day. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of our Heavenly Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you both now and for evermore. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for coming today. Have a great week.